Well, before we actually get started in our study this morning, I wanted to take just a few minutes of our time to speak to you about some things that are upon my heart. This is uh, the first Sunday of the year, and I wanted to take this special opportunity to share with you some of the things that uh, we are very excited about here at Calvary Chapel Iwakuni. Uh, we're going to be doing another special message this morning, one that I hope will be well-received and timely as we look to this new year and all that the Lord has in store for us. Uh, last year, uh, early on in the year, uh, we did a similar message, a similar study. Uh, we did a special, special message where we took a Sunday to share really what our church here in Iwakuni is all about, okay, and what we feel like God is leading us to do. Some churches do a, a vision Sunday early on each year to share the vision of the church and the uh, overall direction that the church is wanting to move toward, and, and we're going to be doing something similar to that this morning, okay? Uh, the overall vision of the church really hasn't changed much. I'll just start with that. Okay, as I shared last year, our emphasis is going to continue to be the same. Okay, we're going to wait upon the Holy Spirit. Okay, we're going to look to be empowered by the Holy Spirit as described in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, the disciples were told to wait uh, uh, for the promise of the Father. And then uh, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, just a few verses down, uh, we're told how we will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so we want to wait on the Spirit. We want to be empowered by the Spirit. We want to continue our focus upon making disciples as part of our fulfillment of the Great Commission that's described at the end of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 8, or excuse me, 28, verses 19 and 20. And, and we want to continue to follow the example of the early church that placed an emphasis upon the study of God's word. The church sharing and fellowship with one another, the breaking of bread and prayer as described in Acts chapter 2 verse 42. And we are going to be breaking bread uh, this morning at the conclusion of our services. It is the first Sunday of the month as well as the year. We are going to set aside some time to observe communion. And so uh, if you're virtually joining with us, I want to encourage you, maybe in the next few minutes, uh, you might want to get up and uh, grab some juice or uh, uh, and some crackers or some kind of bread if you want to participate with us later on. For you that are here, we got you taken care of. All right, you're good to go. Um, so those things haven't changed, okay? They remain to be our main goals as a church body. But there are a few things that I want to share with you that I am really excited about, okay? Things that I hope you too will be excited about in regard to the things that we are prayerfully considering and looking to in this year to come. You know, 2020 was a year like no other, okay? And I hope we don't ever have an, another year. I hope it, you know, remains to be a a special year that is not like any other year, okay? Um, and I think we can all agree, okay? We experienced a lot of things we had no idea were coming our way uh, back when we first started the year. And who knows, you know, this year may have some unexpected and unanticipated events as well. Hopefully wonderful, great events, uh, blessings that we weren't even aware of. I think We've all had our fill of what 2020 brought, and we're looking forward to something new. On that note, I do want to let you know 
that we as a church are prayerfully considering making some changes based upon the global pandemic that we found ourselves in this last year. You know, I hate to say this, okay, but just because we turned over to a new calendar doesn't mean that COVID is going away anytime soon. And I've seen the posts that the base is putting out and even uh, with vaccines that are on the way. Realistically, we're going to be dealing with this virus for the foreseeable future. Okay? That's just the truth of it. Okay? And I think for myself, there was always some optimism that this COVID thing would simply run its course and we would be back to normal after a season. Uh, You know, we went through swine flu and avian flu when we were in Okinawa. It kind of did its course thing and we kind of went on and thought, oh, you know, we'll just do the same thing with COVID. Uh, But that was not the case, okay, and is not the case. And so we need to figure out how to better serve the body and this community as we continue to deal with this virus. Now, uh, we've put out guidelines. Uh, We've asked everyone to wear their mask and to wash their hands. We continue to put out extra masks in case you forgot one and need one. Uh, They're downstairs, okay, at the front door. We continue to put out hand sanitizer for all to use. We've stated that if you are able to properly social distance, then you have the option then to remove your mask. But the problem that we are experiencing is that our church sanctuary just isn't big enough to allow for us all to meet here in this place and still maintain an acceptable level of social distancing. And so we've decided to spread out the seating seating a little bit more. You may have noticed this morning that there's a little bit more space between the chairs and between the rows. Okay. We've also created more seating uh, in the fellowship room. We used to have kind of a small coffee table, uh, round table set up in there. We've kind of created the fellowship room as an extension of the sanctuary now. We have a video feed that's going into that room. There's an audio feed going into there as well. And those chairs are separated 180 centimeters uh, apart as well. And so um, we're trying to modify our space to make room and uh, allow for social distancing. Uh, We are also considering and talking amongst leadership about a pretty big decision about going to two services on Sunday morning that will hopefully give us some more flexibility in regard to our overall uh, spacing out, okay? Of course, that is a decision that we will pray over, that uh, we will talk about through the leadership. We will make sure to Uh, keep you all informed as we consider our best options. I need to meet with Sulema when she gets back uh, this later this week, talk about children's ministry, how that's going to impact our children's ministry, how it's going to impact our sound ministry, all these different, there's lots of uh, nuances that come to saying, hey, let's do a second service. And so uh, it's something that we're considering though. It's something that we're wanting to think, okay, how can we create more space, more room so that we can social distance and um, you know, basically be above board. You know, that's really the heart, I, I think, behind it. Okay, we need to figure out a way that will allow us to still meet during this global pandemic without compromising uh, our physical health as well as our witness within the community. Okay, we want to be a place that is in compliance with the suggested guidelines and in not in any way bring a reproach upon the name of Christ for not doing our part. And so it's something that we are prayerfully considering. And I ask that you would please pray with us. 
pray that you would pray uh, for the church leadership as we seek the Lord in the dis- direction that he would have us to go in response to this global pandemic that really isn't going away anytime soon. Although my greatest hope was like, okay, it's just going to run its course. We'll, we'll get back to normal. It's going to be here for a while, okay? So we need to figure out a way that we can meet uh, and uh, meet all the guidelines, meet all the uh, suggested um, spacing. And, and so we're going to juggle some different things. We're going to flex some things. We, you know, we, this morning we've spread out the chairs a little bit more. We're seeing how that's going to help us out. We've got more room over there, and we're going to consider uh, going to another service. Now, speaking of church leadership, okay, I want to inform you of some very big changes that are going to be happening here at Calvary as well. Currently, the church staff consists of Keegan as our ministry overseer, uh, Salema as our children's ministry director, and myself as senior pastor. We also have Gabby Warman coming in and volunteering her time to help us with the church finances and our social media updates. We're very grateful for her. Well, as I've mentioned over the last couple of weeks, Miss Sulema is now Mrs. Bywater. Uh, Sulema and Jacob were married in December and will be re- returning to Iwakuni later this week. There's a photo of them uh, on their wedding day. They will have to rom for a few weeks, and we aren't expecting them back uh, with us serving probably until February, uh, just because they're going to get here, I think, on the 9th or 10th, and then they're going to have to rom for a couple weeks, and then she has to process paperwork of becoming a sofa dependent and and all that kind of stuff, so we're going to give her some time to figure all that stuff out, Uh, and so we're looking for her to be back with us full time, uh, or at least as our children's ministry director come February, okay? Now, in February, at that time, okay, Sulema is going to be transitioning to a part-time position with us. She will still be our children's ministry director. Okay, that's not going to change. However, she will be doing so from a part-time status. Instead of being tasked with other admin responsibilities, okay, we, we basically have her do a bunch of other stuff too, uh, administrative stuff in the office. She does a, almost all the cleaning in the church, you know, the toilets aren't magically cleaned by uh, a toilet fairy. You know, Salama is usually the one doing that, mopping the floors, stocking the, the uh, bathrooms and, and the supplies and all the children's ministry rooms. She's the one that pretty much does most of that stuff. And uh, in addition to running errands and everything else that we're gonna, we normally task her with, okay? Now, uh, instead of being tasked with all those admin responsibilities, she's just going to focus in on her responsibilities as our children's ministry director, okay? She's, uh, and we're excited about that. She's, you know, has a lot. We've been talking about some new things within the children ministry and just developing more teachers, and I think it's going to be great. Now, part of the reason for her transitioning to a part-time position is that we needed to make room financially for another person to be added to our staff. Some of you who have been attending our Wednesday evening fellowship are aware of this, but I don't know if I've ever shared it with the Sunday morning group. Uh, But we have been praying for some time now for the Lord to open the door uh, for a brother in the Lord to come back out here and serve as our worship pastor. Uh, Some of you that have been here for a really long time, which I realize isn't many of you, but there are a few of you guys here, Akiko and and Andre, um, and a few others. Uh, You know... Uh, and may remember our brother Nick Matroka. 
And so uh, Nick was previously stationed here in Iwakuni uh, from 2013 to 2015. And while here, he served as our worship leader. And ever since uh, the day he left, we've been praying that the Lord would open the door uh, for him to come back to us on a full-time basis. Well, that time has arrived. Lord willing, uh, Nick is going to be joining the ministry here as our newest full-time employee. He's scheduled actually to arrive tomorrow morning. Uh, and after a few weeks in Rom, he will be here as another person to help minister to the needs of the body. I am really excited about him joining the team. I think you guys are going to just love him. Uh, he loves the Lord, and he, and he loves serving the Lord, and he loves serving God's people. And so I think it's going to be a, a great fit uh, and, a, and a blessing for the body. Uh, we're very excited about what the Lord's going to be do in and through Pastor Nick. Uh, please continue to pray that all goes well. Uh, also pray hi- for his fiance G. Okay, that's a picture of Nick and G. Uh, last year when they were on Israel, uh, they he proposed. They got engaged. She lives in the Philippines. Uh, and long, long story short, uh, Japan just recently changed their uh, travel restrictions. Nick's visa got approved. Hers was in the process of being approved. And then Japan said, we're stopping processing visas until the end of January. Nick's was done. And they said, hey, if you get here by the 4th, you're okay uh, to come. And so he's going to come. And hopefully at the end of January, they'll pick back up processing, finishing up her visa, and she'll be able to join uh, with us. And so uh, we're excited uh, to have both Nick and G joining with us. Uh, Nick, tomorrow... uh, uh, will arrive, and then G, hopefully soon in the month of February, okay? Um, let's see. So, the Lord is adding to our full-time staff, but there's even more, okay? And again, I wanted to just share all these things with you. It's an update. It's kind of a, a, a direction I want you all to be aware of. We're going to get into the Word, but just a few more things to note here for you guys. The Lord's adding to our full-time staff, but there's more. Lately, I've reached out to a small handful of individuals and asked them to pray about stepping up and becoming more involved in the leadership of our church. And the idea behind that was to try and create more touch points of faith for the body within the community. Keegan and I can only do so much from inside the church, okay? And we don't have regular access to uh, the base and the places that you, uh, most of you frequent. Uh, And so I purposed in my heart to try and identify some people that you can go to for spiritual help, for accountability, or simply spiritual guidance and fellowship that are part of most of your everyday interactions. And my hope is that you see these individuals at the exchange, at the commissary, at uh, work the, in your neighborhood and that you would feel comfortable approaching them and seeing them as a spiritual resource for your walk with the Lord as extensions of the ministry here at Calvary. Uh, as of late, I've asked uh, Scott Warman, who has been a faithful member of our church board for the last three years, who just came back to us this last summer to greet the body at the door, uh, trying to make them feel welcome and try and make the body feel loved. I've asked a few other families to help out in this well, way as well. The Penley family was down there uh, this morning, uh, Perry and Blair. Uh, I, I've talked to the Congdon family. They'll be helping out as well. And the uh, Joelle and, and Jen, I've asked them to help in, in, in this kind of form and fashion and still have plans to meet with others as well. And, and I'm excited to have more people stepping up to assist really with the overall vision of the church and ministering to the people in various ways. Now, speaking of various ways to minister to the body, we are looking to start up a new, few new ministries this year as well. 
Um, as was mentioned in, uh, I didn't mention the announcements. I was supposed to mention in the announcements. Uh, Perry is uh, going to be starting back up our men's ministry here at Calvary. Uh, in years past, we had a men's ministry, and uh, the person that led that PCS'd, and we didn't have anybody to really wanted to run with it and take it over, and so it got put to sleep. But uh, Perry's really excited about picking that back up, and we're excited to have him uh, serve in that capacity. Uh, I've met with him a couple of times. I've heard his heart for the men and some of the things the Lord has pressed upon him. And I can honestly say that I am genuinely excited for all the Lord is going to do in and through him and the men here at Calvary. And so our kickoff is actually going to be at the end of this month, the last Saturday of the month, the 30th, we're going to do a men's breakfast here at the church. And so guys, I want you to mark your calendars for that. Uh, The 30th uh, of January here at the church, we're going to do it at uh, 8 and so 8.30 here at the church, uh, hopefully you can come out to that. I really believe uh, God's going to use that uh, group to really pour into the men here at Calvary, something that I think's been missing uh, as of late. So uh, we're excited about that. Another ministry that we're praying about bringing back is our youth ministry. Um, with the arrival of Nick and G come a younger couple who have a huge heart for the Lord and for youth. Uh, after G arrives, Nick and her will get married, and after getting situated, we hope to seriously pray over and consider the possibility of starting back up our youth ministry. Uh, there are a few kids within our church, a few families that have some youth-age kids. We want to be able to pour into them, and we want to be able to minister to them and, and make them feel like they have a home and a place here at Calvary, so we're excited about that as well. Um, you know, we had a youth ministry before, uh, but Leaders come, leaders go, and, and ministries come and go, and we're excited about the possibility of this one coming back. Um, one of the benefits that we hope to see from starting up some of these new ministries and perhaps a few others is to create similar or some, some smaller groups of fellowship within the body of Christ. Okay? Not that we want to divide the body, but we understand that ministry on a large scale is difficult. Okay? When guidelines are in place that limit how big gatherings can be, and orders are in place that prohibit gathering together in large masses. And, and so the idea is that we can still minister to the body, but we're going to look to do so in various new ways. Okay, ways in which we will be able to gather together in smaller groups and still be effective in keeping the vision here at Calvary strong. And so even with the, within the smaller groups, like the women's ministry, the men's ministry, potentially a youth ministry, the emphasis will still be the same. Okay? We're going to wait upon the Holy Spirit. We're going to look for him to empower us for the ministry he's called us to. We're going to invest in people and making disciples, and we're going to continue following the example of the early church as we fellowship, as we study God's word, and pray together. And so those are just a few things uh, that I wanted to share with you prior to getting into the word with you. Kind of an update, kind of a little bit of a, hey, this is the direction that we're going. Here are some things that we're praying about. We really would appreciate your prayers in regards to that as well. Uh, Just to see, you know, how God might play, what God may place on your heart and what your part may be in being part of some of these changes and, and uh, part of these part of these some of these smaller groups, and so uh, if you have questions about any of the things I've shared, uh, feel free to email me at Glenn G L E N N at CalvaryUwakuni.com or just come see me after service, and I would love to talk more about what I believe the Lord is preparing for us in this year to come. Okay, well, 
Turn our attention now to the word of the Lord, okay? Enough announcements. As I mentioned already this morning, we're going to be doing something a little different. I promise that we will get back to our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament, but I felt the Lord leading in a different direction this week. I wanted to be obedient to that leading and guiding. And the plan is to begin our study of the book of Colossians next Sunday, uh, Lord willing. But for us today, we're going to be back in the Gospel of Matthew. And so, uh, if you have your Bible with you this morning, go ahead and make your way to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9. Okay, Matthew chapter 9. The title of our study this morning is going to be A Vision for 2021. A Vision for 2021. Our text is going to be Matthew 9, verses 18 through 38. But just to get us started, I'm only going to read through the first nine verses from 18 to 26. Will you all rise to your feet in honor of the Lord and his word? This morning as we go through our text, I'm going to make some observations that I think will help direct us in this year to come. Uh, So I'm excited about getting into the word with you guys. Everyone there, Matthew chapter 9? All right. Matthew, the former tax collector and disciple of the Lord, he writes the following for us in verse 18. While he spoke these things to them, speaking of Jesus and the disciples, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. When Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, Make room, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report, report of this went out into all the land. We'll pause right there. We're going to get through the end of the chapter, but we're going to just stop right there and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for this new year. And we thank you for just the the vision that you've given to us, a heart to see you honored, to see you glorified, God, to wait upon you, to be empowered by you, to invest in people, and to invest our lives in you and what you would have for us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would lead us and guide us, that you would direct us, not just this Sunday or this week, this month, but this entire year, Lord. May your spirit be going before us. May we sense and know uh, the calling of your spirit, and may we be obedient in faith to follow after. Lead and guide us this morning, I ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may have a seat. The opening of the text this morning has Jesus speaking with his disciples when a man approaches and entreats Jesus to come with him and to lay his hands upon his dead daughter that she may live. As Jesus went to follow this man, he encountered uh, another woman. And we're going to look at this woman's account first, and then we will cover the details regarding the man with the dying daughter. And so in verse 20, 
we are introduced to a woman who had a blood flow for 12 years. Okay? Now, we don't know exactly the cause of this woman's blood flow, but the other gospel accounts do tell us some other details that are important to our account. We know that this woman has been searching for a cure for the last 12 years. Okay, Luke chapter 8, uh, verse 43 gives us those details. She has gone to several different physicians and has not been made well by any of them. In fact, Mark's gospel in chapter 5, verse 26, it says that some of the physicians made her worse. And, and so uh, it's been a very tough go for her. Lastly, we're told also in the other gospel accounts that she had spent all of her livelihood on seeking a cure, and she has now found herself with nothing. She's left with nothing, uh, somewhat hopeless and very desperate. Now, because of her blood flow, according to the Old Testament law, she would be considered unclean. Leviticus chapter 15, verse 25 says, If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, other than at the time of her customary impurity, or if it runs beyond her usual time of impurity, all the days of her unclean discharge shall be as the days of her customary impurity. She shall be unclean. Now, because of this law, this woman would have been identified as unclean for the last 12 years years. Okay? Being labeled unclean was a horrible state to be in. If someone was unclean, they were to be separated from others. Okay? We kind of know a little bit about what that's like now, right? In the isolation. Uh, she'd have to be separated from people for the last 12 years. Okay? They were forbidden from worshiping in the synagogue and in the temple. And if anyone ever touched someone that was unclean, they too would become ceremonially unclean. And so this woman has had it rough. And as Jesus passed by amongst the multitudes that were following him, the woman thought to herself, if only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. Now, some may read of this woman and find fault with her faith that seems to be perhaps a little superstitious. Some may discredit her faith because, well, it wasn't bold enough. Uh, some may even find her faith foolish because she thought she could simply slip one by everyone, including the Lord, uh, a secret healing that nobody would even know about, not even God. Well, let me suggest to you that her faith was not in the power of a garment, okay? Her faith was in Jesus Christ himself. She had faith that Jesus was able to heal her. Okay? So much faith in him, in fact, that she felt that even if she merely touched his garment, she'd be healed. And there's a reason, I believe, why the woman did what she did. And I think it has a lot to do with her present circumstances and a desire to be secretive and not to draw attention to herself. Recall that this woman is ceremonially unclean. And as such, she has absolutely no business being in a large group of people. The other gospel accounts tell us that the multitudes were thronging and, and pressing in upon Jesus as he traveled. And so we know that there were a lot of people all cramming in to get close to Jesus. Remember as well the nature of her sickness a blood flow issue for a woman would be a very private and sensitive matter, something that probably didn't, she didn't probably want everyone to know about. Lastly, I think this woman has dealt with so much disappointment. 
in so much misplaced hope. As we know, she spent all she had on physicians trying to cure uh, her that perhaps she didn't want to have to bear the sorrow of yet another failed opportunity for healing. As Jesus passed by, she pressed through the crowd, came up behind him and reached out and touched the hem of his garment. At the end of verse 22, Matthew tells us that the woman was made well from that hour. The other gospel accounts are more specific and they declare that the blood flow was healed immediately after she touched the hem of his garment. Matthew cha- or Mark chapter 5, verse 29 tells us that. After she touched him, Jesus actually stopped and he turned around. Again, Matthew doesn't give us all the details of what happened, but Mark and Luke tell us that when he turned around, he asked who touched him. Okay? His disciples were actually a little bit perplexed that he would ask such a question, okay? They were like, man, the, the whole crowd is pressing in on you and thronging you. What do you mean, who touched you? Everybody in this circle here is touching you. Uh, why would you say that, uh, my paraphrase? Okay? Jesus said he knew someone had touched him because he perceived power going out of him. And when the woman knew that she had been caught, we're told that she came trembling before the Lord and she fell down before him in reverence and told Jesus the whole truth. Mark 5.33 tells us that. Now Jesus' response is a beautiful one. He replied to her, he says, Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Jesus gave this woman a very endearing title of daughter. In fact, nowhere else in the gospel does Jesus refer to one as daughter. Okay, outside of this woman that came to him in faith. You won't find it him use that term on any other woman Uh, in the Gospels. Jesus did not condemn her for not being bolder. He did not condemn her for not coming to him publicly. He did not condemn her for thinking that his hymn could heal her. Jesus encouraged her and lifted her spirits and healed her. And, And I believe this woman is an example for us all. She was willing to step out in faith and see what God would do. She didn't know exactly what would happen. She wasn't completely sure of what would happen. But she stepped out in faith and trusted Jesus for a miracle. You know, this year as a church, we want to be involved in taking ventures of faith. We want to take steps of faith in starting up some new ministries and seeing what God will do. And we don't know exactly how it will all work out, especially considering COVID and all that kind of stuff and and what may or may not happen. We don't know. But we're going to trust God for great things either way. And we're going to take ventures of faith this year. And I'm excited to do so. Well, looking back at verses 18 and 19 and uh, 23 through 26, we look at the next healing that Jesus performed. Verse 18 tells us that a ruler came to Jesus. Now, in Matthew's account, we're not told much about this ruler, but the other Gospels clue us in on some important details. Both Mark and Luke tell us that this man's name was Jairus, and they also tell us what he ruled over. Okay, he was actually one of the rulers of the synagogue. Now, a synagogue, if you're not familiar with that, was a place of worship for Jewish believers. Uh, it is a very, very much like what we would refer to as a local church today. The Jewish people would get together, they'd say their prayers, they'd go through the Old Testament scriptures um, and worship God. So, uh, very much part of Judaism, these synagogues. Uh, Local elders would oversee the ministry of a synagogue, and amongst those local elders, one would be selected as the ruler of the synagogue. 
Now, the ruler of the synagogue was in charge of caring for the building and the selecting uh, participants in the Sabbath services. Also, they would be used to settle civic disputes within a community. Most rulers of the synagogues were very prominent individuals, people that were well-off, people that were very well-respected, people that had power and influence. And Jairus was one of these men, a man of great power and influence, one well-off, well-respected. And Jairus came to Jesus, and the first thing that he did was worship Jesus. The word translated for worshiped is the Greek word proskuneo, and it means to kiss the hand of one in token of reverence, or it means to fall upon the knees and touch the ground with the forehead as an expression of profound reverence. You see, Jairus was a leading Jewish man in his community, a man of power and prestige, and yet before he came making his request, he first worshipped the Lord. And I see a good example for us to follow. Oftentimes when we go to the Lord, we come to him and immediately we uh, lift our needs and our requests to him without taking time to just worship the Lord. When we worship the Lord, okay, we acknowledge who he is and, and we give to him the reverence and, and, and the glory that's due him. And, and when we take time to set our eyes upon the Lord and worship Him, and we take our eyes off of our cares and our worries, you know what happens? Our prayers often seem to come out a bit different than what we anticipated, than what they normally would. Sometimes we're just focused on our needs. And I need you to do this, Lord. I need you to do this. I need you to do this. But when we take the time to, before we do any of that, just to come to Him and to worship Him and get our eyes focused upon Him, you know what happens to those big, huge, monumental problems? they begin to shrink down to their proper size in comparison to who the Lord is and what he's capable of. After worshiping Jesus, Jairus then declared, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Jairus, he comes boldly to the Lord and he makes a very difficult request. He wants Jesus to bring back to life his daughter that has just died. This man makes a very bold declaration of faith and power in the power of Jesus to bring back to life his daughter. He believed that Jesus would be able to raise someone from the dead. Jesus responded to Jairus' request and set on his way to his house. Verse 23 tells us that when Jesus came into Jairus' house that he saw flute players. Now it was customary in that day and time to hire professional mourners to come as part of a funeral service, okay? In fact, uh, the Mishnah, which is the oral tradition of Jewish law that's uh, been put down into paper, the Mishnah prescribed no less than two flutes and one wailing woman per funeral service. And so this was, this was the norm. You, you, if you're going to have a funeral, you got to have at least two flutes and a woman that's wailing. That's just what the law called for, Okay. And so as Jesus arrived, people had already started gathering and mourning over the death of Jairus' daughter. And Jesus addressed the crowd and declared, Make room for the girl's not dead, she, but sleeping. And perhaps there was still the faintest of life that still remained within this little body of Jairus' daughter. Everyone else around felt she was dead. Even Jairus himself believed that she was dead. Ultimately, Jesus must have known best her condition. Even though everyone else said she was dead, Jesus said, No, she's not dead but sleeping. Basically, he's saying there's still life in here. There's still hope. 
The people that were gathered around in mourning, they ridiculed Jesus for his words. The word used for ridiculed is a word that means to laugh at or to scorn or to mock. And I wonder, you know, and I seriously doubt if these people realized who they were speaking to. <laughs> I feel that uh, is often the case. Those that want to mock or ridicule Jesus have no clue who they are speaking about. As Jesus ushered out the crowd, he went in and he took her by the hand and the girl arose. Amazingly, Jesus was able to revive this girl. What little life remained in her was immediately strengthened and she arose to her feet. You see, the God that we serve has the power to bring life to things that are seemingly dead. He brought life to Jairus' daughter who had been left for dead. And perhaps you're here today and you have something in your life that you feel is simply, it's just dead. It's next to dead. It's dying. Maybe you just feel life in general is like that. Life just seems dead to you. You feel like you've lost purpose and meaning in life. Listen, God can bring life to you. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe you feel like your marriage is just dead. There's nothing there anymore once it was lively and exciting but now it's it's boring and and lifeless i've seen god restore life to marriages and even raise them to a new high one they've never experienced before maybe it's your relationship with certain family members or loved ones god can bring life to those situations as well whatever it may be in your life that is seemingly dead you can bring it to jesus and watch him bring new life to it you know, here at Calvary, as we look to the future, we want to see Jesus bring a level of vitality back to our walk with him, back into our marriages, back into our family life, in our relationships, in our endeavors, okay? We want the life of Christ to fill all areas of our lives, that his life-giving ministry would grow in us and through us. He is more than able, and we are excited to see what sort of vitality God wants to bring in the year 2021. Let's continue reading 27 through 31. It says, When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. And when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all that country. We'll stop right there. Here we are introduced to two blind men that are following Jesus. And I find that to be a bit peculiar. How would two blind men follow Jesus? Um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, they had a very acute sound uh, hearing and were able to follow the masses, the crowds. Unfortunately, Matthew's account is the only gospel that shares this example of a healing. And so the info here is the only details that we have. The blind men were crying out and they were saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. The verbs crying out and saying, they're actually written in the present active tense. And that indicates, indicates a continued action okay it wasn't just that they called out to jesus one time but that they repeatedly called out to him over and over again these blind men were calling out to jesus and they were referring to him as the son of david now 
The son of David is a very clear title reference to the Messiah. According to Old Testament prophecy, the Messiah had to come from the line of King David. The Jews had long waited for their Messiah to come, and these two blind men have properly identified Jesus as the Messiah. I do find it more than interesting that this is the first mention of the title Son of David in the Gospel accounts, and then it comes from two blind men. It would seem that these two blind men were a whole lot more perceptive than the people that actually had the ability to see with their own two eyes. These two blind men, they requested from Jesus mercy. Mercy is probably one of the best things they could have asked for from Jesus. Mercy is an aspect of God's love that causes him to help the hopeless, to help the miserable, the downcast. Now, I've heard it said that mercy is not getting what you do deserve, while grace has been explained as getting what you don't deserve. And you can even take it another step further and say justice is getting what you do deserve, okay? So there's justice, there's mercy, there's grace, and these men are calling out for mercy And mercy really is the only thing that we can request on our own. There's nothing that we've done that can merit God's blessings and God's provision upon our own lives. And so we simply ask for mercy. We ask God not to give to us what we all really deserve. You know, the famous British preacher Charles Spurgeon, he wrote this in his sermon notes next to this uh, text. He said, their sole appeal was to mercy. There was no talk about merit, no pleading of their past sufferings or their persevering endeavors or their resolves for the future, but have mercy on us. And he writes, he will never win a blessing from God who demands it as if he had a right to it. Okay, say that again, Spurgeon. He will never win a blessing from God who demands it as if he had a right to it. We have no right to make any demands of God. (laughs) All we can do is cry out for God's mercy. God, give to us what we, we we don't, don't give us what we deserve. That's what we need. We know what we all deserve, okay? You and I, I I love you guys, but we're all dirty, rotten, stinking sinners, okay? And we deserve, you know, everything that would come our way. And so we plead, we ask for mercy. (laughs) Verse 28 seems to indicate that Jesus didn't immediately respond to these blind men crying out to him. Okay? He simply continued on. He continued traveling until he came into the, a house and he made the blind men follow him all the way inside of the house. It made me ask the question, why does Jesus make them search him out? Why didn't he stop when they cried out to him? I mean, these guys are blind. You know, it's difficult for them, I'm sure, to, to travel around the streets and to make it through the crowds, why did he make them follow him all the way inside the house? Let me suggest a couple of reasons as to why Jesus would not stop and tend to them, but rather make them search him out and find him. For one, we know that Jesus has been trying to keep somewhat of a low profile and not draw too much attention to himself at this time. Another public healing in front of the crowds would surely draw more attention to himself. Verse 30 supports this idea of him not wanting to draw attention to himself. He says, hey, don't tell anybody about this. They didn't listen, of course, and they went and told everybody. But 
Another is that because these men were crying after Jesus with a messianic term, perhaps he knew it was not best to receive that title just yet because his time had not yet come and the people didn't have a proper understanding of the work of the Messiah. Third, it could be that Jesus was testing their faith. Did these two men really believe that Jesus was the Messiah and that he was able to heal them? Then let them prove their faith through their actions. Were they willing to step out in faith? Were they willing to pursue Jesus, not knowing where it may lead? Were they willing to persevere and stumble over things and and not let a single thing stand in their way of reaching him? Evidence in the text suggests that they were. They didn't allow their blindness to hinder them from seeking after Jesus. They didn't allow obstacles in the road to keep them from ultimately finding Jesus in the house. They persevered, crying out to him, listening for him so that they could find their way. And once the blind men followed after and found Jesus in the house, Jesus replied to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they replied, Yes, Lord. Jesus asked if they truly believed, and in their response, it was so simple yet very telling. Yes, Lord. They acknowledged Jesus as Lord, as God. Again, I'm amazed at the perception, the sight of these two blind men. Before he did anything for them, before he healed them, before he promised anything to them, they acknowledged Jesus as Lord. They knew that he was the Messiah, and they weren't afraid to proclaim so. Jesus then touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were open. Jesus healed them based upon their faith. These men pushed through the obstacles. They didn't let anything keep them from coming to Jesus. And according to their faith, God healed them. These two blind men were victorious in their pursuit of Jesus. They didn't let anything hinder them from pursuing Jesus and having him touch their lives. These men could have allowed their difficulties and their disabilities from keeping them from seeking after Jesus. They would have been viable excuses. Oh, I'm blind. I couldn't do it. He kept walking. He didn't stop. None of that. They didn't allow that to prevent them from coming. They pushed through those hindrances in their pursuit of Jesus, and their faith was richly rewarded. You know, here at Calvary, we want to see the same happen. This year, you know, we want to see people become victorious in their pursuit of Jesus Christ. We want to encourage people to pursue Jesus no matter what, not to allow anything to stand in their path or prevent them from coming to the Lord and having him touch their lives in a powerful way. Now, I'm not just talking about salvation. We want to see people get saved. We want to see people come to the Lord. But our walk with him. We want to pursue after him. It's not just let's get saved and then live our life the way we want to live. Let's pursue Jesus. Let's chase after him. Let's follow after him and be victorious. Allow him to do powerful things and touch our lives. Let's look at our last healing from this portion. Read verses 32 through 34. It says, As they went out, behold, they brought to him a man, mute and demon-possessed. And when that demon was cast out, the mute spoke. And the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never seen like this in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He cast out demons by the ruler of the demons. We'll pause right there. Here we're introduced to a man that was mute and demon-possessed. Now, to be mute could mean one of two things. One, that you're not able to speak. But two, 
it can also refer to being deaf and unable to speak. Uh, the w word was used interchangeably for both situations. And so whether or not this man was able to hear, uh, we're not told. But we know he couldn't speak. He was mute. This man was demon-possessed as well. The demon seems to have placed this man in his current condition. His inability to speak and or hear is a result of the demon that dwells within him. And at the beginning of verse 33... We read of how Jesus cast out the demon and the mute man was able to speak. Jesus gave to this man his voice. You know, here at Calvary, we want to hear people speak. Okay, we want people to feel like their voice is being heard. Okay, we want you to share your voice and to get engaged. Okay, we're not a congregationally led church. It's not our church governance style. Okay, we don't have church meetings where everyone comes and cast a ballot voting on particulars regarding the church okay that this church is it's not a democracy uh, and we could talk about church governance at a later time if you want to uh, talk about that i don't think it's the best uh, example i don't see a lot of biblical support for that type of congregation but our church governance is more based upon the trust in the lord to lead and guide the ministry leaders and myself in the overall direction of the church but that doesn't mean that we don't want to hear from you, okay? We want to hear what God is placing upon your heart, okay? We want to hear of things that you feel God is showing you. Has God given you a burden for a ministry, okay? Come share it with us. We want to hear. We want to see how we might be able to come alongside you and, and support you in that vision and support you in that which God's placed upon your heart. And I've always made myself available to anyone that's ever asked to sit down and talk about things or for them to share you know, their observations or share things that God's placed upon their heart. I love to hear different ideas for ministry that people have, and I welcome the feedback. Honestly, I need all the help that I can get, okay? We need all the help that we can get, okay? And so part of asking some of these other families to step up is to provide the body with more points of contact with the church, okay? More opportunities for your voice to be heard that we may prayerfully consider what the Lord is doing and how he's leading within the church, okay? We want to know what God's placed upon your heart. And part of starting up some of these new ministries is to create more opportunities for relationships to be formed, for people to get involved, to be comfortable with sharing their voice. Some people are just scared. They don't feel like they have a place or uh, a venue to do that well if you maybe feel more comfortable in a smaller setting you know and you feel like you have that opportunity we want to create these options there for you okay we are a church family and every member of the family is important we want to hear from you all okay we want you to get plugged in we want you to be a part of what god is doing here well when Jesus healed this mute man, the multitudes marveled, saying, it's never been seen like this in Israel. And I do find this response interesting because this wasn't the first time that a demon was cast out of a man. And so it makes me wonder why they would say such a statement. Uh, perhaps it is because the statement was said as more of a summary statement of the things in total that Jesus was able to do. Uh, I could see that and understand. Uh, one commentator had another suggestion. I thought I'd share it with you. Whether or not it's true, I'm not sure. But it says that uh, in the Jewish understanding of demon possession, this man could not be helped. Okay? This was because most rabbis of that day thought that the essential first step in exorcism was to compel or trick the demon into telling you its name. The name was then thought of as a handle by which the demon could then be removed. 
And therefore, a demon that made a man mute had cleverly prevented the rev- uh, revelation of his name and therefore prevented his own exorcism. Okay? For these reasons, this miracle was particularly amazing to the multitudes, and it showed not only the complete authority of Jesus over the demonic realm, but also the weakness of the rabbi's traditions and some of the things that they used to teach. Now, whether or not that's true, I'm not sure, but it is interesting. It does maybe uh, serve as an explanation as to why the multitude responded in the way they did. Now, we need to note something here that's very important when it comes to the many voices that are out there. We see that the Pharisees were part of the multitude that witnessed Jesus cast out the demon from this mute man. And in verse 34, it records their response for us as they proclaimed, He cast out demons by the ruler of demons. The Pharisees, they are trying to discredit the work of Jesus. They are trying to attribute his power over demons to the ruler of demons. Listen, church family, okay? Amongst the many voices that are out there, there will always be those that want to discredit what the Lord is doing or try to question the work of the Lord. And not because of sincerity, but because they simply don't like what's going on. Okay? The Pharisees didn't like the fact that the people were following Jesus and not them. They didn't like the fact that their power over the people was being threatened. And so instead of seeking the Lord to see whether Jesus was truly of the Lord, whether this was something God was in, they sought to discredit him in his ministry. And I realize that there are a lot of voices. There are lots of voices out there that want to tear down, that want to discredit what the Lord is wanting to do. And unfortunately... Some of those voices even come from within the church. And so we need to exercise wisdom. We need to exercise discernment when we hear certain voices. You see, not all the voices you hear will be ones that are speaking the truth in love and desiring to see the Lord glorified, desiring to see God magnified. Some are just unhappy and and they don't like how things are going and so they look to discredit, they look to tear down rather than to encourage and to build up. May our voice be one that looks to honor the Lord. May our voice be one that looks to build up the body of Christ and to glorify him in all that we say and do. Well, let's quickly look at our last portion of chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, and we'll wrap this up. Then Jesus went out about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This last portion is a bit of a summary of the actions of Jesus. We're told that Jesus continued his ministry of teaching and preaching and healing throughout the cities and villages. Verse 36 tells us that when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and they were scattered like sheep having no shepherd. You see, the multitudes didn't have someone to lead them, to care for them, to protect them. The religious elite, they were supposed to be doing this, but they were failing miserably. Jesus had compassion on all of them. The leper, the servant, the unclean, the rich, the poor, the blind, the demon-possessed, the tax collectors, the sinners, the lame, the mute, the young, and the old. 
Jesus loved them all, and he wanted to care for them all. But he realized that the need was very great. And so in verses 37 and 38, he shared these words with his disciples. He said, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That statement is true today as much as it ever was. Church family, the harvest truly is plentiful here in Iwakuni. And there is a lot of work to be done. But the laborers are few. Here at Calvary, we need more people to step up. We need more people to get involved by volunteering their time, their energy, and their resources. Okay, we want to see an increase in our volunteers so that we can accomplish what we believe the Lord is leading us to do. You know, if we do make the decision to go to two services that, so that we can spread out, that we can make room for everyone to be able to social distance, listen, we're going to need more volunteers in our children's ministry. We're going to need more volunteers in our sound booth. We're going to need more ushers. We need more people to step up. One of the benefits of going to two services, you know, is that you can serve in one and, and, and attend the other. That's a, a possibility. But we're going to need people to step up. Okay, if, if we need, need to learn how to operate within this pandemic and spread out, we need more volunteers. We need people to commit to to more. If you're serving, maybe you're serving, you know, once every couple months. We th we're thankful for that, but we need you to step it up, okay? We need people to get more involved. We need people to get plugged in. Okay? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. You see, the body is meant to minister to the body. I'm blessed that we're able to bring in Sulema on staff. I'm blessed that we're able to bring Nick and G here on staff. But listen, the church is not meant to be ministered to by the staff only. It's the body that ministers to the body. <laughs> and we need people to step up. Okay? We want to start new ministries, but it's always a challenge to start new ministries when you can barely support the ones that you already have. I believe with all of my heart that God is on the verge of doing something very special here in Iwakuni. And I want you all to be a part of it. You know, in John's Gospel, Jesus said, Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. You know, I think it's easy for some to have that mindset. You're looking to the future, and you're neglecting to see what God is doing right here and right now. You know, I've noticed through my years here in Iwakuni that there are some here that are just biding their time. They're like the ones Jesus referred to when he quoted others as saying, there's still four more months, uh, but s some people are just sitting around, and they're counting down the days until they leave Iwakuni, and they're missing out on the harvest that's ready and that's right before them now. And I, and I don't say this to, to condemn anyone, but I want to encourage you guys to look up and to see what God is doing here and now. I do believe that the harvest is not only in other people's lives, but in our own as well. When we make ourselves available to be laborers in his field, 
we get to reap a harvest, not only in the lives that we touch and impact, but also in our own lives as God shows us incredible things and he builds us up and he strengthens our own faith. And so I want to exhort you, church family, encourage you as much as I can, please pray. Please pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. And as you do so, I want you to listen intently to the Lord and see if he just may have you to be part of the answer to that prayer. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing, what you've done, and what you desire to continue to do in the future here at this church. Lord, you've been faithful through the years, and we trust you to continue to be faithful. Lord, I feel that you're on the verge of just doing something really special. And I'm excited about that, Lord. And I pray that the body here would be excited about that as well. And that the body would really uh, step up and, and take steps of faith, ventures of faith, Lord, that they would volunteer, that they would just see you show up and do great and awesome things, that they would have their voice be heard, that they would share the things that are upon their heart that you've given to them, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would lead us and guide us into this year. Lord, 2020, we had no idea what was ahead of us. And Lord, we really don't know what 2021 is going to hold either. But Lord, you do. And so Lord, our emphasis will be to focus upon you, to seek you, to hear from you, to wait upon you, and to follow as you lead and guide. We thank you that you love us. Thank you that you've shown us abundant mercy and grace. And Lord, I pray that we would continue to seek after you, to continue to follow after you all of our days. Lord, as we transition now to a time of communion, I pray that our hearts are just in a place that are ready to receive the elements as we remember your sacrifice. And so, Lord, lead and guide us in this time of worship. Lead us, guide us in this time of communion. Minister to our hearts as we take time to pray. Lord, I pray that you would just solidify what it is that you're wanting to show each and every one of us this morning. And so, Lord, we give you our time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.